Hello and welcome to Brain Food for General Counsel, where we look at the biggest issues facing your organisation and how the legal function can help. My name's Matthew McGee and I'm a journalist here at Pinsent Masons. Imagine if you could present to your board a perfect, real-time picture of the economic activity of your organisation. Every deal, transaction, payment and purchase. Sure, it would make you look good, but more importantly, the behaviour of your organisation would be utterly changed. Because a surprising amount of business decision-making is done with imperfect information about what's actually happening out there in the company. And what information there is often only exists because of a massive expenditure of resources. The organisation that has accurate, real-time data is instantly at a competitive advantage. They can analyse spending and resource allocation more efficiently, but they can also create a strategy for the future based on the real world, not the sometimes optimistic picture painted in boardrooms. Providing this is one of the promises, and almost one of the accidental byproducts of smart contracts. But is the promise real? And can it be delivered at scale anytime soon. We'll try to find out from contracts advocate Sally Geyer of World CC and Luigi Tesca, who runs a smart contract platform provider. And we'll get a view of the situation on the ground from David Halliwell, who's in charge of client solutions for Pinsent Masons. Smart contracts are digital versions of agreements with processes contained within them to verify that certain events have happened and execute an action based on it. So if I'm a car maker and 2,000 exhaust pipes arrive at my factory from a supplier on time, then the payment to that supplier is automatically made, perhaps with an agreed bonus if they arrived early. Smart contracts are part of the much-touted emergence of artificial intelligence in commercial law, an area that for many organisations appears not quite to have lived up to the promise of the mid-2010s. But they're at the concrete end of what was promised and and do actually exist out there in the real world. Providing business intelligence, data about what's actually happening right now in your company, was never their primary function. But it could be one of their most powerful attributes, uncovering the secrets of your organisation, almost as a byproduct of executing agreements. And this is because a contract is a record of economic activity. And economic activity is what makes a company a company. A digital contract is more than a record though. It actually undertakes this activity and creates a trace of every transaction. This can be broken down and analysed in any way the organisation wants. Who's doing deals? Who are our customers? How many miles of piping were bought yesterday? How much inventory is in our Delhi depot? What is our exposure to a depreciating dollar? It's a big promise and we'll assess later how realistic it is. But first, Luigi Telesca, co-founder of Tracti, outlines what gold lies in those smart contracts. They can get a lot of data because, first of all, they will not see any more contract as a static document, so like an attachment to their daily routine. They will see the contract as a, a, a binder of information that is not only information about the deal that they have signed, but also how actually the deal is processing over time. So they can understand, for example, if the connection with their counterparty is stable, is improving over time. So it becomes a dynamic object. What they can get information is about intangible asset. They can get information about uh, trust. They can get information about 
quality, they can get information about reciprocity of the relation. So things that, that today, first of all, uh, are not there because uh, they are scattered between different systems. Second thing, uh, they are not providing data real time, but uh, the data is inputted manually by people that are already interpreting the value, maybe even with some mistakes into it, while the system can actually get the data automatically. And what is possible on a company scale is possible on an economy-wide scale. Sally Geyer runs World Commerce and Contracting, which promotes standards in contracting. She and Luigi are working with the European Commission to see what this kind of data could do for whole economies. Existing measurement systems, so like gross domestic product, well, they struggle to account for those intangible structures and assets of today's economy. Approaching measuring economies as an ecosystem of contracts actually allows you to start measuring those intangibles in a way that we haven't really been able to. So it's, it's, a, it's a shift, but it's a really important shift as well. All of the data that's produced by networks, by market structures. You know, one of the case studies that we're using is Airbnb. And all of the transactions that happen across that platform, we can start to measure those in a way that GDP just was never, was never structured to do it. There are concrete benefits here for legal teams. If a series of systems now takes care of routine actions associated with long ago negotiated contracts, what impact does that have on legal teams? Luigi, then Sally, then David Halliwell, ponder whether this releases teams for more strategic work. The word you said, releasing, is amazing. Is exactly the one that we need to use. I think uh, there is time wasted in administrative activity that is not paying out by creating automation that can actually focus on what matters to the business and also try to avoid uh, costly litigations that actually could raise after because they will be able to implement a common level play field to work better with the counterparts and also to reduce the risk because the fact that the contract will be able to mitigate the risk by getting real-time data, it will give immediate indicators to general counsel on which contract deserve attention or not before actually the risk or the problem is created. Everything is automatic. So we don't have to go through a process of manually assessing whether a delivery was late or on time. Um, What does that mean? I need to go to finance. I need to draw up some paperwork. I need to ask my finance department to make the payment or um, to to issue a penalty notice because of late. It's, so there's, there's all of that back and forth and various different departments being involved in a process that the smart contract approach just eliminates. I think it will change the legal function and I think very much for the better. I mean, many of the organisations and legal functions that we work with at World CC are desperately trying to eliminate a lot of that bureaucracy and admin, frankly. I think there's a huge amount of opportunity for legal 
teams within a business to become far more integrated with the business and far more strategic on that basis as well. There's a whole wide range of things that legal teams can do to get the right work on their desk and to get the wrong work being dealt with elsewhere. So quite often that can be fairly basic things like creating standard checklists for commercial people in order to be able to negotiate contracts themselves. Where clients have done something quite basic like that, the legal team is able to take a more strategic view of the things they're doing because their resource can be spent, their time can be spent looking at the bigger issues rather than these day-to-day -day legal queries. Smart contracts have got the potential to really turbocharge that as well. So not only will a lot of the processes around contracting be automated, but they'll provide the legal team with volumes of data about the risk position of the organisation, which will enable the legal team to really become more strategic. They'll be able to analyse where contract risk sits. They'll be able to look at the ways in which contracts are being managed, and they'll be able to organise the whole of the business's approach to contracting in a way that delivers full value out of those contracts. There's a whole wide range of surveys run by organisations which identify the existing value which is hidden within contracts, obligations which people don't know about, rights which they have to enforce contracts. It could be price increases, it could be reviews of the terms of the contract, it could be a whole range of things for their benefit which they're simply not able to do because they've forgotten that they're in the contracts. If these rights and responsibilities and obligations get incorporated within the technology system and it means that they're being identified, enforced, implemented automatically. And that will enable the legal function to really demonstrate the value it can bring through better contracting. This is where though we get a little into chickens and eggs. Using this technology won't magically re-engineer your approach. You need to do that in order to use the technology. So a lot of hard work still needs to be done to get the benefits. David Halliwell has been talking to companies about how they structure contracting and has found that this all might be a bigger challenge and a lower priority than advocates of it might like. I think a lot of people love the idea of smart contracts um, and in the same way that there's a lot of excitement about blockchain and its opportunity to improve uh, contracting, and business transactions generally, there's relatively limited detailed understanding and uptake about how these technologies can actually be used. So we've been talking to a whole wide range of clients within the financial services sector and some of the biggest household names you can imagine. And this is really nowhere near their agenda at the moment. You would think that banks, for example, who have contracts, customer-facing contracts, supply contracts, fully integrated into the whole of the operating model would be really approaching smart contracts as something which is going to add significant value to what they're doing. But from the conversations we've been having, they are still dealing with some fairly rudimentary contracting issues which they need to get right before they can think about anything fancy like a smart contract. We quite often work on large document review projects for clients. Um, and the key thing that we need to do there is to get hold of all of the, the contracts. It could be because they're about to do a piece of M&A and they need to know um, what their contractual state is when they're either buying another party or, or selling to another party. But the vast majority of clients don't know where their contracts are. And they could be on local C drives. They could be with people who've left and they don't know where they are. Simply finding where all your contracts are is one of the biggest challenges for clients at the moment. So... Yes, you're absolutely right. 
getting them all into one place would be a massive advantage and an essential starting place for something like smart contracts. But a lot of the clients uh, and corporates that we talk to are, are a long way from being anywhere near that. Um, we've been talking to a range of financial services organisations about their approach to technology, comparing where they were in 2018 with where they were in the second half of 2020. One of the, one of the questions we asked them was, what's their approach to data? Has it got better over the last couple of years or has it got worse? A third said actually, yes, their position in relation to data is better. They've got better structures, better data structures in place um, and they're, they're better organized. On the other hand, 20% of them said the position has actually got worse over the last couple of years and the remainder, it says it's not changed at all. So there's a clear understanding that getting your data right and getting your data structures right will enable all sorts of good things but in big organisations, that is a very significant effort they need to go to, to to get to the sort of improvements they need to be able to make. Luigi and Sally say that though adoption is in early stages, it is being used out there in the real world by financial services and fintech companies, in insurance and healthcare, by the Swedish Land Registry and the US's General Services Administration. And what nobody really doubts is that smart contract use will grow and they will become a widespread part of doing legal business in time. Sally says that this will help organisations get back to a sense almost of contractual purity, away from thousands of pages of doom-mongering and towards what contracts started out as, enabling agreements as a foundation for doing business. What should have been ostensibly simple tools to guide cooperative activity have been completely corrupted over the years. Layers upon layers have been added to contracts by this sort of predatorial or defensive intense. Contracts have had such a bad rap, but they are the lifeblood of organisations. They are data rich and actually being able to capture transactions, creating that level of transparency and visibility in all of these different transactions it has a a, a huge impact on um on economics on society as well shifting to a mindset that recognizes the fundamental importance of contracts the data that they hold and using contracting as um, a data source for an organization you know it's just it it's well, I think it's incredibly logical for us to be shifting in that direction. Agreements have become so convoluted that most normal human beings don't understand them. You know, there is a reason for the, you know, contracts are put in a drawer and not looked at unless something goes horribly wrong. They used to be much simpler. There was one fascinating example in the oil and gas industry, um, you know, where, you know, contracts today are a thousand pages and, you know, back in the... Gosh, I think it was the sort of 70s, um, 60s, 70s, that same agreement was written on a single page. We're moving away from the artisanal approach to contracting to a much more scientific approach. Um, And, you know, breaking contracts down into their component parts, um, standards are going to be uh, an essential part of the the path forward as we increasingly digitize the ability of smart contracts to eliminate the artisanal approach um, the opinion based approach to contracting and the my word is better than your word approach i mean that's that's got to be applauded 
The promise is substantial, but there are some unusual challenges, and one of them is the climate. Smart contracts, as currently envisaged, are based on blockchain, a collection of code, algorithms and public records that can verify identities and authenticate transactions. It's the same technology used to underpin digital currencies like Bitcoin. But when used in currencies, the amount of energy needed to do the processing necessary to authenticate and verify is staggering. A Cambridge University study recently claimed that Bitcoin uses as much energy as Argentina. So is it really sustainable to propose that all large businesses underpin every contract with this technology? Luigi explains that the energy use is inversely proportionate to the amount of trust in the system. The less trust there is, such as in a currency where people don't know each other, the more power is needed in the system. Large businesses contracting with each other shouldn't need to consume so much energy, he said. Bitcoin is a, a specific blockchain implementation that, because it's trustless, is requiring a lot of energy because in order to solve the problem of trust, they need a very complex, uh, let's say, cryptographic engine that requires a lot of energy. There are different implementation of blockchain that are, uh, let's say, very fast. They can uh, streamline processes. They are energy efficient, like the cloud. The more trust between parties, the less energy is needed because uh, the blockchain uh, was born in order to solve the problem of trust. And how to solve the problem of trust if you don't trust the counterpart is to basically create and put mathematics on top of it and to use mathematics as a, as a, a proof of trust. In that way, we don't have to know each other, but I can send you a Bitcoin and you know you will receive a Bitcoin and I will not have a Bitcoin in my wallet. If instead we know each other, we already trust ourselves, but we want to have a tool that is functional is keeping records up to date automatically and uh, sharing information. Maybe we don't need that complex block of certification uh, of, uh, uh, let's say, transaction. We can just share the information in an immutable system, and that's more than enough. In that case, we use a different concept of trust that is uh, very similar to the ones that we use in banking system. So is the one between uh, banking clearance processes, but in a more distributed fashion. The potential business intelligence benefits of smart contracts is mind-boggling. A real-time ledger of economic activity by company and across the economy. Strategies would be rooted in real activity. Economic planning and policy would be based on sound data. And intangible elements of the economy would for once be fully considered. But as with all things related to artificial intelligence and technology in law and business, some pragmatism and realism is needed, as David explains. I'd compare the situation to where people were a couple of years ago when talking about artificial intelligence. So we spoke to financial services organisations two years ago and asked them if they had to look forward to the, the, the heady heights of 2020, what would they anticipate as being their most used technologies at that point? And the sorts of things which are required in order to implement smart contracts were all there on their, on their wish lists. They thought they would be using technology to automatically tag contracts to create management information. They thought they'd have technologies in there to predict contract risk using artificial intelligence. They thought they'd have technologies in there to help them with decision making. 
scroll forward to 2020 when we revisited with this with them again those technologies were nowhere near either what they had already implemented or what they were thinking about for their two-year horizon looking forward again. They had gone back to some fairly standard day-to-day -day technologies, some basic contract drafting tools, which might involve some contract automation, potentially thinking about a contract management database. But the idea that artificial intelligence was going to solve all of these challenges for them was a pipe dream. People thought that you'd be able to implement this technology fairly rapidly and it would make significant changes to your ability to manage contract risk. But not only has that not happened yet, people have now taken it off their agenda for things that they want to do in the future. They're now focusing on much more day-to-day -day pragmatic tools. How can they improve their contract drafting? How can they improve their contract management? If you're a legal team, what's your relationship with the business like in terms of uh, portals for instructions or Q&A tools to enable the business to be self-service? People are now on a much more rudimentary basis in terms of understanding what technology can do. Yes, there's a long-term aspiration to be able to use artificial intelligence and some of the blockchain and smart contracts technologies, but for the vast majority of the businesses that we talk to, it's not on the horizon for the next two to five years. Then again, David reminded me, e-signatures have been the next big thing for nearly 10 years with only piecemeal real-world adoption. Then coronavirus and lockdown happened, and they were everywhere. Their time had come. He recognises that events could quickly make these contracts and the business intelligence they produce as ubiquitous as e-signatures have become in the past year. Thanks for joining us for the latest Brain Food for General Council podcast. Remember, you can keep up to date with hour-by-hour -hour coverage of business law news by the Outlaw Reporting team at pincentmasons.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have enjoyed this or past programmes, please do rate and review them. It helps us to reach other people who might be interested. Until next time, goodbye. Brain Food for General Counsel was produced and presented by Matthew McGee for Pinsent Masons, the purpose-led international professional services firm with law at its core.